joining us on After Dark with Robin Andrew on America Out Loud, which is available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or head on over to America Out Loud and click on the Listen Live tab for 24-7 Talk Radio. You will not be disappointed. Folks, tonight, Andrew can't be with us, but I have Heather Robinson of the New York Post. She'll be co-hosting with me tonight. And tonight's discussion, we're going to have a rather candid conversation about race, because there's so much that's taken place in our society. So much is happening, and it's all centered around race. I don't think we have ever, in my lifetime, been at this point where everything that takes place in the media, and I say the media because they're like the windows to the world, is centered around race, racism. Now, this country has always had race problem, but I don't think that it's at the level or was at the level that many in the media and the Democrat Party have portrayed and are portraying it to be. We have had our issues from slavery. We had the issues when the Irish came with the Italians, with the Jewish community, with the Chinese, the Japanese. Just, I mean, the United States, we're, we're full of so many different people. And getting people to understand and respect the others, it's never easy. But in my humble opinion, we have made great strides over the past 100 years up into the civil rights movement and then beyond the civil rights movement to only reset the clock and go back to where we were trying to get away from. I, I don't know. I want to say, I'm like, how, how did we get here? But I kind of know how we got there, Heather. And it's this is all centered around like the George Floyd and George Floyd was killed. I just don't get how man's inhumanity, inhumanity toward man causes thousands, countless people to suffer. And I think that's where we are today. And I blame this solely and squarely at the feet of the media who are constantly race baiting. They they found an issue. They've seized the moment. Now, yes, there are politicians who are doing the same thing, but the media is aiding and abetting. They're helping them get this out there. Where am I going with this? As many of you are probably aware, there was a young man in Kansas City, Missouri, Ralph Yarl, who was shot once in the head and then once in the arm by a white man, Andrew Lester. And this happened, believe it or not, a week ago. We're only now finding out about it. And the way the media is portraying it as if though this just happened and that this guy, Andrew Lester, the biggest white supremacist racist on the planet, tried to kill this kid, Ralph Yarl, who, by the way, is out of the hospital and he's on the mend. When I first heard about it, I thought the kid was dead. So now the story is like piece by piece is coming out, but he wasn't arrested right away. And I guess news got out as to what happened. And then people started getting angry. So they went in, they immediately arrested him or he turned himself in. And I'm hearing, Heather, that when they were questioning him, he kept asking about the youth, Ralph Yarl, saying, how is he? How is he? How is he? How is the person that I shot? And he didn't know the person's name. Now, if he was a white supremacist or a racist, I doubt seriously that he would be asking, how is he? He would probably say, I'm glad. I hope the SOB is dead. But for some reason, the media is making this man out to be, without us knowing anything about him, that he's a racist. Now, I don't know his heart. Maybe he is. I don't know. But from what I've been reading, this man, to me, it seems, was concerned of his actions. and like, what did I do? 
and at the same time, they're saying that outside of his house, he had signs saying no trespassing, no solicitors, don't come up on my porch, leave me alone. Okay, but this young man, Ralph Yarrow, innocent kid, brilliant kid, I heard he's a really good top-notch student, yeah. made a mistake and went to the man's house. He got shot. Now, let's move over to New York City, upstate New York City. Kaylin Gillis, a 20-year-old white woman. She was with three friends in a car, and they were looking for the house of another friend. They couldn't find it, and she, well, she didn't mistakenly, but they drove into a driveway with the intent of turning around. But once she drove into the driveway, Kevin McMahon came out. He's 65. He's white. Fired two shots. One of them hit Kaylin Gillis, and she's dead. This happened, either I think it was Sunday. There is no uproar. No one is saying anything. No one is saying that Kevin McMahon is a racist. No one is saying that he's a mean person. But his neighbors that knew him, they're saying that he had a short fuse, his pet peeve with trespassers and people who would drive in his driveway. I drive, and I have done that on many occasions. Got the directions wrong. I would pull in someone's driveway with the intent of you know, backing up and getting back on my route. But no one seems to care about Kaylin's death. She's dead. Ralph is alive. Let me continue on with my story. On Monday, there was a couple, two, a couple visiting Chicago from North Carolina, a black man and a white woman together. Her name was Ashley. She was 20. He was 22. DJ. They were coming out of Nordstrom's department store. And all at once, a band of black youths wilding attacked them viciously, pounding them, beating them. The couple told the news a news reporter, that they feared for their lives and they thought that they were going to be killed if it wasn't for the help of a good Samaritan, Lenore Dennis, who was also black. She saw what was happening and she ran up to their defense, got them away from the youths and put them in her car and drove them to safety. Let me continue one more story. This weekend, a group of black teens in Chicago once again, Millennial Park, wilding, tearing up the place all over. Anybody that came by, they would attack them. If you're not familiar with Millennial Park, that is the same park that in 2008, Barack Obama gave his address after winning the election saying that a change was coming to America. This is in Chicago. Little did we know that that change meant the destruction that has descended upon our youth. And no one wants to call it out. No one wants to say anything about it. The only thing we want to do is say racism, racism. Even the mayor-elect of Chicago said that what the youths were doing was wrong. He condones it. But you can't demonize what they were doing. What? You can't demonize it. Now, imagine, if you will, have these been white youths tearing up the city. Imagine what the black politicians would say. Heather, I'm without words. I mean, seeing this happen as a black man, seeing this happen, and then you have our elected officials looking the other way or not saying anything. You look at New York City just the other day, they had Jim Jordan came here to address the crime issue because our first black DA, Alvin Bragg, is busy trying to go after Donald Trump as opposed to trying to go after career criminals. And then when he does go after the career criminals, he reduced their charges from being a felony to a misdemeanor. But then when he looks at Trump, he increased the charge from a misdemeanor to a felony. Now, is this equal justice? I mean, what is he trying to prove? Is he? Is there like some type of payback from all the things that happened to our ancestors? Now we're going to pay back. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I just can't figure this out. I just think as ever, you're, you're coming at this from a position of, 
just total humanity. And that's all we can do. It doesn't matter someone's color if you're acting, you know, in, in, you know, a mob to hurt people. It's not acceptable. And um, I think that we do have a lot of fear in this country about having candid discussions that are really honest and account for everybody. And I have felt, you know, if anything, I've been kind of surprised pleasantly. I know that sounds weird, but I think that the past two years, I actually expected things to be a little worse than they've been, because I think that that moment in 2020, when we saw the lockdowns and we saw the horrible, horrible, just terribly infuriating and heartbreaking tape of the murder of George Floyd. And then we saw the anger that was justified, but that then bled over into violence in many places in the name of justice against people and, and their businesses who had nothing to do with the murder of George Floyd. And we were told that we had to watch that and we had to accept that that was justice. And I know you and I have talked about it at the time. I mean, I lost friends over this. I was appalled by the what happened to George Floyd. And I did understand. I, I, I guess I can't totally understand. I'm not black, but I felt outrage also. And I, but I also wasn't going to say that violence was okay because of that, that anger. And I felt that we were at a, a moment of Orwellian um, just denial of, of, you know, we were, we were being told we had to deny things that we saw with our own eyes and um, dismiss our own ethics in order to be good people and to care about our fellow citizens and our black friends and Americans, that the only way to care and to be on the right side was to accept that violence in the name of this justice was, was good. And I felt then, you know, we had the defund movement. We had all the opportunistic jumping on of Antifa, destroying cities, blocking ambulances from coming in to save people. You know, again, we're told this is justice. These people are allies. These are the allies to, um, you know, black Americans who were enraged. These people are not black, but they're, they're the allies. So they, have to be um, supported and it has to be accepted that if they trash cities and they um, block bridges and render uh, safety services and ambulance services impotent, that that's part of justice. You know, we were being told all of these things that were, they were lies. They were um, deeply offensive to anybody who has a moral conscience. And, um, you know, and then accompanying that was all this insane policy of defund the police, which, you know, we know is a recipe for more crime. And I really felt that, um, you know, January 6th, in many ways, was kind of, you know, again, not excusable, but, you know, a horrible, shameful reaction to all of this. It was another example. And, you know, what I sometimes say is when people say, oh, how terrible. And, you know, I say, well, where do you think they got the idea? Yeah, it was terrible. 
you know, but we had all been listening to six months of being told that violence in the name of justice is, is uh, you know, part of being a, a, an American and a proud uh, citizen. And it's, it's, uh, it has to be continued and it has to be expressed. And, you know, we're being told this, this distortion, things are being twisted into, you know, something depraved and anybody who objects or who questions this is called a racist, called not an ally, defriended, uh, possibly uh, shamed and denied employment. I mean, it was a moment of, of just absolute, I think of, of terrifying um, brainwash that happened. And after that, I thought, you know what, they can, you know, not reelect Donald Trump, whatever, but they are ushering in something very, very um, frightening. And I'll tell very you, sinister. Too, you know, it's that the people wonder how did the Holocaust happen? You know, and I know people are sensitive about Holocaust comparisons. I'm Jewish myself, and I'm not comparing this in terms of the scope by a long shot, but I am saying that, you know, look at what happened to Kristallnacht. Look at, you know, the, the Germans at the time, a lot of them believed this was justice. This was, yeah, innocent people and their businesses smashed and terrorized in the streets. But you know what? It was all justice in the name of cleaning up Germany and, and celebrating the fatherland and the pure race. And, and I'm sorry, but I do think there's a parallel here. You know, oh, I you, agree. When, when you not, when you look yeah. at what's happening, and like you said, if you say anything, you're labeled a racist. So people are quiet about it, and that's mm -hmm. the reason why I want to have this conversation tonight because there are just so many different layers here that we need to look at, and mm -hmm. why are people afraid to talk? They see what's happening. They see that one group is being marginalized by another. And that's just not fair. You can't tell me that we're going to just turn our backs on everything that's bad that's happening to white people because what happened to black people hundreds of years ago. Two wrongs don't make right. So we're going to continue this conversation on the other side of the break. And we're going to unpack this, the the stories that I gave you, and Heather will give her take on it, uh, because I think it's, we're at a point that we've got to have this conversation, and we've got to be honest about it. So you're tuned in to After Dark with Robin Andrew on America Out Loud. Please go get a snack, but come back as we continue this conversation on race. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Did you know that doctors and nurses have been swabbing their noses with povidone iodine to protect from airborne threats like colds, flus, and pandemic era strains for decades? Cofix RX took that idea and made a more complete nasal formula with lasting cleansing effects. Maybe you're traveling soon or going to an event. Are you concerned somebody nearby might be sick? Maybe the office or classroom stresses you out. Get yourself a bottle of Cofix RX nasal solution. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Save 20% by using promo code 
out loud at cofixrx.com. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. So, Heather, you were saying when we went to break how people are afraid to just say what's actually happening out of fear. And I agree with you. But when you look at what happened in Nazi Germany, that we're going to, you know, clean out the people, we're going to make the pure race, we're going to make this, you know, we're trying to do this, and it's all in the name of justice and fairness. But what's happening now in the United States of America, we have our issues. We've, we have our past. But in my opinion, we are resetting the clock back to what we don't want. This is not King's vision. It was content of character that all men were treated equally and fairly. But for some reason now, you have our elected officials and the media. I blame the media for this because they won't even cover the story of this this woman, Kaylin Gillis, who was killed. I mean, what happened to Ralph Yaw was horrible. It should not have happened. But they ran with the story. They kept, I thought the kid was, was dead. It's a miracle he is. Well, yes. Dead. There's more to the story that, we're, that they're not telling us. They're just building the story up that there was a racist white man who shot this kid. And this man is at the police station asking about the kid. How is he? Is he okay? To me, that doesn't sound like a racist. Doesn't sound like a white supremacist. Not that I know who they are, other than the people that are sitting at the White House, like the Democrats, who keep pushing this stuff. The mayor of Chicago, the new mayor-elect, even the outgoing mayor even said, oh, well, we can't look at what's happening now with the wilding or use tearing down the city. Oh, you know, they have no other place to go. What do you mean they have no place to go? Why don't you get on the phone and talk to Joe Biden and say, hey, Biden, send us some more money. Call Barack Obama. Where's, where is Barack Obama? No, if, this, if Trump were in office and these were white youths out rallying, saying black lives don't matter, they would all attack Trump. But no one is saying anything to Biden. And you know what? Biden called the family of Ralph Yarrow. But did he call the family of Kaylin Gillis? No. Did he call the family of those six people who were killed in Nashville, Tennessee, that Christian school? Absolutely not. Kamala Harris didn't even go and visit with them, but she did go and visit the two expelled Black representatives. Did they even go to East Palestine, Ohio, when the train derailed? Nope. So they're sending out a signal that white lives don't matter. We don't care about your lives. We don't care what happens to you. Don't come to us. 
we're only concerned about black lives and we're only concerned about it when a white person kills that person. Because if they were really concerned about Black Lives Matter, Heather, they would look at Chicago and they would look at the deaths that are constantly happening. I bet people are unaware that 70, only 20% of black people are killed by the police, whereas 75% of whites Hispanics and Asians are killed by the police. But those numbers, people don't want to know about those numbers. They're only concerned when a white officer kills a black man. That's the only time they're concerned. Look at the Christian school in Nashville. No one wants to talk about that now. You know why? Because the perpetrator was a white transgender. They don't want to talk about the transgenders. They don't want to talk about the man who killed uh, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Why? Well, because he was a white kid who was in favor of Black Lives Matter. So we can't talk about that. But we can talk about Andrew Lester, the 85-year-old man who was charged two felony charges. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I was I was thinking about it today, you know, after you sent me these articles and I heard about what happened. And it is, you know, a terrible thing with this little boy, young, this teenager, um, Ralph Yarl. And, you know, of course, it, it just, you know, it's awful. And um also, we see violence in Chicago. We see kids running wild. We see uh, a lot of shootings. We see, you know, and I was thinking about how, as you texted me, Rob, it's all fear, you know, fear on both sides. And fear does a lot of terrible things. It can do terrible things to people, to their judgment, um, to their ability to build bridges and talk to each other. It's, it can be very corrosive. And I think there's so much fear and there's so little real ability to talk. There's this pretend idea that we're talking, but the reality is, you know, at this point, one side gets to talk, which I think is important, but, you know, I think there's also fear on the other side. You know, I think that you know, just as our eyes have been opened to the fear a lot of Black Americans feel about the police, and they shouldn't have to walk around afraid um, in a free country that's not a police state. And I think, um, I'm not saying I understand entirely, but I do think that the that video of what happened to George Floyd, I think there have been many things that have been eye-openers. And I also think, though, it's important to talk about this, you know, very sensitive reality that a lot of people, Black and white, in this society are afraid of crime. And, you know, it's, it's Black people are not the only people who commit violent crimes. Most of them are committed by white people. But we see this sort of hypersensitivity toward any kind of discussion. You can't have any discussion. You know, it's very hard. I mean, I've had a few discussions with dear friends of mine, and I, I have been able to have them, you know, including with you and, um, you know, about just what it's like as a woman, you know, what, you know, whether you're, it's not just a matter of <laughs> any one race of man, but any man who's, you know, you're in a, you're in a secluded place, you know, uh, you, there, there are reasons that, you know, we feel, women feel scared now in society, you know, whether we're talking about walking, you know, on, on the subway and the mentally ill running wild, whether we're talking about cities like Chicago and San Francisco and New York, where you have very little consequences for crime. 
I mean, nobody should have to walk around in mortal fear every day, either of the police or of criminals. And I mean, this is something that, you know, we don't see real dialogue taking place. We don't hear it. There isn't a lot of honest discussion about these issues and how can we improve the quality of policing while at the same time being tough on crime. I mean, both things are important, I think. And it, it, it's important, but I, I think that there's an overkill in saying that police officers are after Blacks. Because when you look at the incidents that have taken place over the past decade, and you really study what happened, you'll find out that a small percentage was a situation like George Floyd. I do believe that Derek Chauvin overreacted. He should have removed his knee. I think that was in the moment. I don't... It was stupid. yeah, he, he was stupid. Yes, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna Im- immediately run to. Oh, he was racist, cop. No, I think he was in the moment. He was caught up, and he wasn't thinking. He was just stupid. But people yeah, always run. Happened, Rob. I don't mean to interrupt, and I Go probably ahead. shouldn't even say this because I don't want it to be taken the wrong way. I know you won't take it the wrong way, but I kind of feel like not that anybody was responsible except him. It was ultimately his fault, Chauvin. I sort of think the whole situation was, in addition to his stupidity and brutality, I think it was, I think he seemed like the type of person who was over and stupidly reacting to the people around him who were challenging him, you know, filming. That happens, right. And that's, right. And I think it's not in any way, shape or form justify his terrible behavior. I kind of felt like part of what happened there was all the kids who were filming that, you know, and telling him what to do. I think it had the unfortunate unintended consequence probably of in his crazy mind, like making him dig in harder, so to right. speak. And that it, happens. It, it happens it's when you have authority. It's you, right. it's, it, and you it's know, wrong. It's another example of, well, look, it's not anybody's fault but his, okay? It's those kids, they, they were trying to do the right thing and they were documenting something. But, you know, maybe if there is a takeaway in addition to that Chauvin was acting criminally, which he was, Maybe it's another example of, of uh, you know, how the worse, you know, how the more things break down and the less, the more people distrust each other and fear each other. And, you know, just the more likelihood there is of overreaction and uh, misunderstanding and, you know, a cycle of violence, you know, it's. And then you look at Michael Brown. The whole narrative there of hands up, don't shoot. It was a complete fabricated lie by the media, but they got a lot of miles out of it. And if you were to ask people what actually happened, they would say, he said, hands up, don't shoot. And it's like, that was a lie. That never happened. The kid who said that lie, that never took place. Michael Brown tried to attack the police officer. No one wants to mention that Michael Brown was at a store And he pushed aside the store owner, but they tried to make Michael Brown out to be this saint, this angelic kid. And he wasn't. Michael Brown was a six foot two or four 
hulky man who people were probably afraid of. And the little cherub picture that they showed us of the graduation cap that was taken when he was probably eight years old. But see, this is how the media shaped mm-hmm. these stories. You look mm-hmm. at Sandra Bland, yeah, the woman in Houston. Okay, yeah. Sandra Bland, they claimed that the police that they hung her. When there was a video in her room, no one went in, no one came out. She was the only person there. But yet still, they said that the police killed Sandra Bland. But when you look a closer observation of that, her family, and I hate, I hate saying this, but we have to speak the truth in order to get to the next level. Sandra Bland had issues, okay, that date back to when she was using drugs. Her family had had it with her. Now, at that point, and time of her life, she was turning her life around. She was going to Texas someplace where she had gotten this new job. It's unfortunate that she got stopped by the police. So when they took her to the police station and they locked her up, she had a phone call to make and she called her family. She called a friend and the family did not respond to the call. You know why? Because they probably thought that Sandra had fallen off the wagon and was back up to her old tricks of using drugs, but she wasn't. She was reaching out for help. She needed them, but they did not respond to her. So what did she do? She sunk deep into this dark space in her life, and she took her own life. It wasn't the police that did it, and that family should, as painful as it is, they need to own up to that, as opposed to trying to turn this into a they versus us. The police did this. No, they did not. The police did not do it. And it's very unfortunate. And no one has ever said to the mother, why didn't you return her phone call? No one has even gone to the friend to say, did you ever ask her mom and her sister why they didn't return her phone call? No one, they're afraid to ask that because they're the, they're afraid of the answer. They're afraid that they will have to face the harsh reality that they turned their back on Sandra when she really needed them. Let's move on to Freddie Gray, the situation in Baltimore, whereby they said that the police broke his spine. They beat him up and they did all this to them. And the police officers happened to be black. But no one knows that. If you were to ask someone what color were the police, they would say, oh, they were white. No, they were black. But no one wants to talk about that. So what did these police officers do? They said, look, we're going to put it all out there. We want a judge to determine our fate. The judge looked at the case and said, no, they did not harm Freddie Gray. Freddie Gray did this to himself. Whereas Marilyn Mosby, the prosecutor, who's now under prosecution herself, she and her husband, had said that, no, those five police officers, they were part of institutional racism, and they killed Freddie Gray, and they did not do it. And we hear this narrative time after time after time after time, as opposed to people stopping and taking responsibility for their actions. Going back to Andrew Lester, you look at what he's seeing day in and day out on the news of Black youth wilding, tearing up places. So as you said, Heather, the fear, if yeah. fear sets in, you don't know what a person is going to do. Yeah, it's a shame because- So he saw, he saw that. So he's like, oh my God, say, you know? Yes. But I, he made the man that he, not, you know, he also is 84 years old. 85. You know, and I, and it, it wouldn't, I, okay, I read 84. And, you know, it, we don't know uh, for sure all the facts, but what it's been reported is that this young boy just simply, you know, rang the doorbell. But I don't know. I mean, the, the boy, it doesn't sound like he did anything wrong. I guess he thought he was in the right house and he started to open yep. the door or tried to open the door. And, you know, obviously this this old man should not have done this. Um, but, you know, well, but, but, but hold on, hold on. Right. Imagination that he in his mind, he's very old. He's scared. He doesn't. Exactly. So we can know. say we, we if we were to put ourselves in his shoes again, 
you you look yeah. and see what's happening. Yeah. That's the reason why I'm not going to say that this man was a racist. Maybe he is. I don't know. But when you're seeing this day in and day out on the news yeah. of black youth that are out misbehaving and nothing is happening to them, he lives by himself all alone. He has on his door, do not know soliciting, do not come here. And something's going, I mean, he's, he's afraid. Yeah. I mean, it's easy for us to say, and again, I don't know his heart. We're still getting this story. It's easy for the media to immediately say, oh, this, this, I think this is racism. Well, you guys hadn't even interviewed the guy. How do you know it was racism? racism In a certain sense, Rob, it may not be, how can I put it? It may not be that he's the type of person who sits around thinking nasty thoughts about black people, you know, but it may be racism in the sense that, you know, as you said, he's seen all of these images, he's scared, he doesn't have any reason to think that there'd be any reason for a young black man to be coming into his house, you know, he isn't expecting him or anyone who looks like him. So yes, there's that thing in people, what would you call it? I mean, there's I don't know. I, I've always thought well, that I'll, I'll be I'll be honest with you. If I were in his shoes and if someone came to my front yard, I would do the same thing. I, I don't care if the person was black or white. Is that racism? Look at what happened to this girl. You wouldn't start shooting. I don't think I mean, you might say you might say, listen, don't come in here. I have a gun. You know what I mean? I mean, you you probably wouldn't shoot somebody before they even entered the threshold of your house. But I mean, Heather, to be honest with you, when I am out on the streets walking, uh-huh. not that I'm doing, I do it much, it's late at night. And if I see a figure approaching me and a hoodie, I'm not, I'm not thinking, is this a black person, is a white person? I'm thinking I might have to fight for my life. What yeah, will I do? Too. When I'm on the subway and I see, if I see a black person acting out on the train, harassing people and I'm there with my son and the first thing that enters my mind what if he comes to me what will you do and I'm telling you the first thing I think you're going to hit him in his throat you're going to try and subdue him okay is that is that racism it's because of what I have seen but we're so quick again we're quick to label this when a white person I don't care if they don't see who the person is but if you see this on the news day in and day out I don't think you can say that that's racism, but we do because of what the media says. Now, we also have to remember, but yeah. let, me put, let, me, let me look at one point to one more example. Uh, about 20 years ago, I think it was in Louisiana, there was a foreign exchange student from Japan, and it was around Halloween, and he went, yeah. you know, knock, you remember that story? And exactly. he was shot. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was very unfortunate, but and a, a white man shot him. He didn't know the guy, he didn't know what the guy was saying. The guy was trying to say trick or treat, and he shot him. But again, the media always runs to racism, so we automatically assume it's racism. Well, but in actuality, you know, it, I don't think that it is. Racism, but it's a type of racism that all human beings, I think, are subject to. I mean, I think there's the kind of racism that is like someone who sits, you know, who has a, a generalized hatred for a whole group of people okay and who cultivates that hatred that is evil but then i think that there's the type of thing where we all have this survival a blind spot and if we well it's somebody who's different from ourselves who's not our family it's almost like something that's hardwired into human beings that maybe but you wouldn't call that racism well i don't call it i don't i think it's 
I think it's, I don't think, I don't put it in the same category, honestly, uh-huh. as virulent or malevolent racism. I think that there's a difference. I think that people who are haters, who like to overgeneralize and hate and cultivate negativity toward others and have a murderous or, you know, a, a vicious impulse toward people different from themselves that they are indulging in, you know, in the normal course of the day. I think that's one kind of racism. That's like a Hitler style, you know, I want to get rid of this whole other group of people. They're the cause of my problems in my life. And I think that there are people of all colors and all backgrounds who are like that. There are people and they tend to be crazy people. And, you know, I think that's one thing that is what I would call like, virulent racism. Okay, you got to hold that thought because we got up against a commercial break. I want to continue this because I don't, I still don't think that's racism, but you're listening to After Dark with Robin Andrew with my uh, guest host, Heather Robinson, and we're just having a frank conversation about race and racism. And not that we're trying to solve anything, but come back after the commercial break and we're going to continue this conversation. Thank you. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. And we're back with the last half of After Dark with Robin Andrew and my special guest host, Heather Robinson of the New York Post. And we're just having a frank conversation, as frank as we can, about race, racism. And we're, we're just trying to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. And why is everything about race as opposed to just seeing the person for who they are just as human beings? And I gave it the at the top of the hour was four scenarios, Andrew Lester, uh, and Ralph Yarl, Kaylin Gillis, Kevin McMahon, and Ashley and DJ, a couple that was attacked in Chicago. And then I also spoke about the wilding Black youths in Chicago. And 
No, Heather, when you look around you, you look and see what's happening. As a Jewish woman, and what, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, when you see Black youths that have been let down by society, let down by a political party that keeps asking them to vote for them, but there's no direction, no one is telling them, you're on the wrong path, what you're doing is wrong. And let me throw in something else. So you're seeing this, and then you have these other white individuals who aren't, there aren't, they aren't at the top of the food chain. They're either medium to lower class, and they see this happening. And then they're being told that they're, it's because of them that this is going on. Yeah. Is no one not thinking that these kids are going to grow up with hate in their hearts, especially if they don't have anyone to talk to them and say, hey, what's happening is wrong, and you're not responsible for it, although they're trying to blame you. Because my fear is that a decade later, a decade from now, those white youths that are seeing this, they're going to grow up with hate, and they will have racist ideas and thoughts because of what these black youths are doing, and they're not being punished or stopped, and no one is telling them that is wrong. Like I said, you look at the elected officials, you look at the mayor, the new mayor of Chicago, who's saying, oh, we can't demonize them. That's wrong. What, what, are, you, what are you, I mean, <laughs> this is right. crazy. Between demonizing somebody, I agree, it doesn't do any good. We shouldn't be running around dehumanizing and demonizing it. But I mean, <laughs> there's a difference. But you got to call it out and say that it's wrong. Punishment, yes, you can't, you, you have to, you cannot refuse to punish violent crime or crime in general. You can't not give young people boundaries. I mean, this is, you know, these liberals, they, this left in this country has a very big problem with the concept of boundaries. They don't, you know, they won't enforce the border. You know, they have laws, but they won't, you know, just do away with the law and open the border, which is what they, I guess, really believe in. But we have these laws, but we're vilifying the people who are there in position to enforce the law. Um, you know, they seem to think it's like mean to enforce the law. And, you know, it's it's actually that part of things isn't so complicated. I think whatever, you know, and I see this, you know, honestly, among the children of the wealthy, too, in a different way. You know, I think anybody who, you know, grows up with a sense of entitlement and no boundaries, you know, it's a recipe for all kinds of dysfunction. You know, it's like the simplest sort of thing that, you know, like, you know, it's the ba- it's like basic, we're all human, you know, we're all the human animal, we're all, you know, the same in the sense that we're different in different ways, but basically we understand cause and effect, and, um, you know, we, we don't tend to do things that pr- produce negative consequences for us, and if you raise people, you know, anybody to have a sense of, you know, there's no boundaries, there's no consequences for bad behavior, then you tell them, you know, the world is against you, you know, you are a victim, you're entitled to do what you want, because the world is against you, the system's against you, you know, and nobody cares, and it's all stacked against you. That's a very toxic message. And I think, I think that that's the liberals message in a lot of ways to minorities to, you know, I think we see it in a lot of different ways, you know, we see it in, you know, being communicated that, and I think it's, I, I blame that, honestly, more than anything, I, I just think that, um, 
I don't care what color you are. I mean, if that's what is being preached to you, it's like you're creating, you know, a mindset that you're not preparing people for reality because reality is that, you know, we all have different circumstances, but there are some things that are universal, such as, you know, whoever you are, okay, I'm not saying I can understand exactly because I know I'm a white woman and I, you know, whereas I'm vulnerable in certain ways, I'm less vulnerable in other ways, okay, so I'm not trying to say that it would be the same thing. But, you know, if I started running at a cop with a knife, I I might wind up dead. I mean, I can't sit and argue with the police either. I can't, you know, I mean, yes, there are certain things that are probably going to be, you know, maybe I would because I'm, you know, white and I I can afford an attorney. I might fare better, you know, than many people of color. But that doesn't mean that I can go and disregard, you know, common sense and get into fights with the cops and not have any consequences. I mean, I think some of this, we're sort of losing sight of what's universal and what we all need to understand about living, you know, in a, in a, in a society with values and laws and structure and consequences and cause and effect and, you know, reality 101 we're not you know the left in this country is not raising children to understand reality 101 you know and that there are basic truths such as you have to have a basic respect for authority you have to understand there are laws for a reason if you disobey them you're going to be punished if you have a vagina you're a girl if you have a penis you're a boy you know, if you're one in 10,000 who's born hermaphrodite, then that's a medical condition that, you know, you and your parents and your doctor have to deal with. I mean, this is reality. You know, reality isn't, you know, girls are boys when they want to be boys and you can escape the stress and pressure and pain of adolescence by switching your gender and you can get into fights with the cops and have no consequences because of what happened 200 years ago. And I mean, this is all, you know, it's just like a soup of, confusion and dysfunction that's being foisted on on young people and it's unfair to them they're not being prepared for life they're not being taught the basics and they're being fed this hodgepodge of twisted ideas that are dreamed up by some pseudo intellectual in the ivory tower who never had to struggle for their living Because they are, I mean, if there's any truth to any of this bullshit, I think it's that they're, you know, this has been cooked up by a certain privileged elite of people. I'm talking about, you know, the leftist obsession with with race and, you know, the, the idea that there are different, you know, expectations for different types of people and that, you know, certain things should be, you know, overlooked because of uh, you know, the past and that that's a healthy way to raise children and that, you know, children should be empowered to make decisions and undertake radical unnecessary surgeries because of an idea they have. I mean, all of this, I think, you know, the irony is, you know, we're being preached, Rob, you know, that we and anybody who isn't, you know, a person of color is privileged and, you know, doesn't deserve an opinion and, you know, can't, you know, have an equal say. But the irony is that the people who are saying this, regardless of their color, or, you know, they're at universities, they are, they have more uh, free time and, you know, money and, and privilege to bullshit around than the average person. And that's, you know, 
that's where this is emanating from, you know, not from within the communities, I don't think. I, I, you know, I mean, you know more about it than I do, but I don't know very many people who really have to work for a living who sit around and talk about, you know, uh, everything from reparations to transgenderism to these hokey theories about, you know, the systemic racism that infects our institutions. And that's why, you know, there have to be different standards for different colors of people. I mean, I don't think anybody who gets up and goes to a job every day where they actually have to earn money to survive is, is spewing this shit. I mean, it's, it's like, it is a, a, a it, the irony is this, this shaming kind of culture of, you know, different standards for different people and this color person is privileged is coming from privileged people, you know, of all races and backgrounds, people who are on campuses who don't live in the real world and they're inflicting this on children. And on see, the whole and they, right. And they're the, the the people with the power, they control the microphone. And if you control the microphone, you control the narrative. So when you look at these cases that we're talking about and how the media immediately gravitated toward them and they put their narrative on it and the average person isn't dissecting like the way I've dissected these stories. And I said, okay, then let's look at this. Look at this guy, Andrew Lester, 85 years old. Now, for me, when I first heard the story, I'm thinking, I thought, wow, this is horrible. But without even knowing this guy's background, people started saying, oh yeah, he's a white supremacist. Oh, he's a racist. He's a racist. He's a... I don't get racist out of him firing a gun at someone at his door. What if Ralph Yarl had been a white kid? He probably would have done the same thing. Would we have said that was racism? The same way uh, Kevin McMahon shot Kalen Gillis? But, you know, he might not have. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I think what you said about the media is true, too. And I'm but, but, a media but, person. But look at, look at Kevin McMahon and Kaylin Gillis. He, mm-hmm. She was white. He's yeah, white. Yeah. Okay, so when the media, I mean, it's easy for us to look at this and say, well, maybe S, uh, Andrew Lester might not have shot a white kid had a white kid been at the door. Yeah, we can say that, but we don't know. And when we can present another case whereby you had a white man to shoot a white woman, I mean, so that to me, that negates yeah. us to say that maybe he might not have, but because the media has conditioned us to think that, and had it been a white youth, he wouldn't have done that. Okay, maybe not, but let's look at Kevin McMahon. This was a white woman, and he yeah, shot her. So, but we immediate right. So we people immediately run to, oh yeah, that was racism because of what we have been conditioned, what we right. have read right. from the media. Yeah, it sells, right. It's, right. You know, and I, I tr- and, and I try not to. It's it's hard. I try not to when I hear situations like like I said, when I heard about this case, Andrew Lester, and I said, wow, what happened. You know, then I found out that Ralph Yarl was a black youth, and I'm like, oh, this does not look good. Why would he shoot this kid? Okay. And then I thought about the situation that happened some 20 years ago with the Japanese student, and I'm like, okay, I need to find out more. But it's very easy for us to immediately take sides and say, okay, this is about racism when we don't know the full story. And now we're learning that this guy, Andrew Lester, he was asking about 
Jarl, how is he? What happened? Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say that he was asking because he was glad that he shot the kid. Maybe that was a genuine concern. And unfortunately, if he was genuinely concerned as to what he had done, the media is not going to play that up. They're going to still say, no, he's just saying that so that he can get out. The man is 85 years old, and they're already saying that he's going to get life in prison. Whereas, look at New York City. Look at some of the criminal activity that's taking place. And the people who've gone to jail and they've been let out to commit additional crimes, look at Chicago. Have they even tried to arrest any of the youths that attacked that couple? The video of them, of these youths just descending upon this couple and just beating them. And then this and one how, white woman. how amazing of that woman, you know, to have For been. her to come out. And, yeah. and she said, she said, I thought, I said to myself, if I don't go in and help them, these, mm -hmm. she said, I can't let this guy get killed in front of my face good for her. No one wants to say anything about it. No one is going to say that it was racism. Uh, we're just going to, the media will just look at it and just move right on. There's nothing to see here because it doesn't fit their narrative. Now, again, Andrew Lester, I don't know his heart, but the media was saying, well, look at the way he looked. You can tell he's a racist by just looking at him. And unfortunately, you hear that a lot in the black community. They will look at a white person and then they will immediately say, oh, I know that person's racist because you can look at them. Well, what did this racism have a look? Well, because they're not smiling. Well, they used mm. to say that about black people, that you need to put a smile on your face. Why aren't you smiling? So mm. it's all of these tropes that the media has created, these narratives that the media has created, that we are conditioned. When we read a story like this, we will immediately assume the worst. When I heard about this woman, Kaylin Gillis, I immediately thought she was black. I thought, oh, man. Mm. A black woman got shot only to find out that she was white yeah, and that the person yeah. who shot her was white. But the media, again, they have become so powerful. And Heather, I hate to say it, somehow yeah. they have to be stopped. Well, I think that the only way to stop, I, you know, we have a free country, Rob, and we can't legislate the media, but I think it's good to raise awareness as you're doing. And, you know, that's the best we can do. I mean, the other thing I thought of is that, that incident with the two people, Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper. Do you remember that during the early days of the pandemic around the time George Floyd was, was murdered? Um, there was a woman in Central Park with her dog and a man uh, accosted them and yep. tried to get her to, to put her dog on the leash and they got into an argument and it escalated and he he sort of threatened to feed her dog and she called uh the police and said that you know an african-american man is threatening her life and she was anyway th that was another example where i think the media seized on something and i think it's yep. so big it's sold you know and they they sensationalized it and, you know, it caused a huge, huge furor. And then he, later, a lot more details came out about that. And I don't right. know if, you, you know, actually, I have to say, I think Barry Weiss did a very good job on her podcast. Honestly, she had she hired a, a different reporter, a young black man to do the interview of that woman, Amy Cooper. And, you know, he, he what emerged was that, you know, the woman there was more details surrounding what had happened, you know, that we didn't see on the tape, such as that the man, Christian Cooper, had said to her something like, I'm paraphrasing, you know, you may do what you're going to do, you know, what you want to do, but I'm going to do what I want to do, and you're not going to like it. And so she claimed, you know, to this this young journalist she spoke with, um, I forget his name, Camille something, he did a, a great job, 
she said that she was frightened and it right. turned out that there was other evidence that there was a man who Christian Cooper had also accosted in the days in that same place in the prior days and got into an argument with him. And he happened to be a black man, that, that right. other man. And he mm-hmm. wrote a letter to the New York Times. Did you hear about <laughs> And, you know, he said, this guy was trouble. You know, this guy tried to feed my dog. I told him, do, do not feed my dog. And he wouldn't stop. And that guy got physical with Christian Cooper because he said, I wasn't going to let him feed my dog. I didn't know if it was poison. I didn't know what it was. And I shoved him. So the point is, there was there was all kinds of other information that suggested that this man, Christian Cooper, you know, arguably was acting in a very confrontational way that bothered not just this woman, but other people. You know, in, in other words, the, the, the snippet that the media seized on yep. was, it, it, it's emerged that it was somewhat out of context and they didn't provide a lot of other information that gives the story a lot more nuance. And it was an example of something that, of what you're saying, I think, that and she lost her she lost her job. Now I'm not saying she that she lost the country. She was yeah yeah. yeah. And, she, and, and maybe she didn't behave the best. That mm-hmm. she I mean some of the things she said, but but the way the media made her out to be this racist person simply because of the color of her skin, and they wanted to take the side of the black man who happened to be gay, who went on, and I think he got a special on the Discovery Channel, which didn't last long because this other part of the story came out. But you see, these are the things that happen. The media is so quick. It's a narrative, and they know that there's a certain there's a certain group of the population, blacks, will feed into this, and to me, again, as a black man, and, and why it's right, but as a black man, to me, that's more condescending and attack mm-hmm. because what you're saying is that black people are too stupid and dumb to see through what we're doing. We're just going to put this out there all the time and we're going to make them believe and think anything and they'll believe it. And to me, that's an insult. That's an affront mm-hmm. as to the person that I am. And if you don't agree with them, they will come back and attack you. But you can't call out the black youth and the things that they're doing on a constant basis. And if you don't tell them that there are consequences, they're going to keep doing it. Now, just imagine in, in Chicago, had a police officer started firing and shot someone. The narrative would have been not about the kids who were wilding, not about the kids who were acting up, but it would have been about the cop who shot a kid. Meanwhile, on the other side of Chicago, south side of Chicago, black kids are being killed nonstop by other black kids, but no one wants to talk about it. To me, yeah. that's an affront. It's horrible. But we can run and talk about it when we want to say it's racism. Now, you know, Heather, I hate to say it, but we're all out of time. So quick. I mean, and there's so much still to unpack with the story on race. And we've got to have you back for a part two, because I think that it's important that people are aware as to what the media is doing so successfully, but it's dangerous. So you're tuned in to After Dark with Robin Andrew on America Out Loud. Tune in again. And as Andrew would always say, stand for something or fall for nothing.